Just before I begin looking at the call of the disciples, because uh, the United Church across Australia has designated this as a Sunday of mourning for First Nations people, and because we're about to commemorate Australia Day uh, in a few days' time, it's always a good time to remind people to have a look, if you can access the internet, at the preamble of the Constitution of the United Church. Doesn't sound like an exciting thing to do to read a constitution. You don't have to read the whole thing, it does get a bit dull. But the preamble is not. The preamble tells the story of how First Nations people already experienced the Spirit of God in the land before Europeans came and the attempt of the Uniting Church to be connected to that experience. So uh, if you get a chance to read it, it's always a good time of the year to do so. Okay, now. Call of the disciples in Mark, <clears throat> if you were here last week or at another church, you've already heard about the call of the disciples in John. Each of the Gospels deals with this, all in different ways, which helps us in be encouraged that the Gospels are actually conversations that we have with the extraordinary idea that God exists and that God was present in the world in Jesus. And so the call of the disciples is, is um, one way into that for each of the Gospels, and it's a little bit different in each one. They're windows, if you like, because we are in the season of Epiphany, windows into Epiphany, into the idea that the ordinary can become extraordinary, that the soul of the ordinary can be illuminated, as we were talking about last week. And is there anything more ordinary than fishing? Why do we need to know that the call of these disciples, that in the call of these disciples, that they were fishermen? Is it just a bit of narrative colour, you know, just something that's in there because, well, it gives us a good story and it gives us something to do when we're teaching Sunday school. Fish, nets, the whole thing. There's nothing wrong with all of that, of course, but, but what if there's something else going on here? What if Jesus says, when follow me and I will make you fish for people or make you fishers of people? Something else is going on, and maybe it's not a clever metaphor for evangelism, as we've often been told, because when you think about it, the idea that you would be catching fish as a metaphor for evangelism is a bit rough. You know, fish don't like to be caught. That's why you have to have a net or a rod. It's not really much use as an, as an idea of evangelism, although we've often used it that way. See, the story's not really about fishing. It's about what fishers, people who fish, represent in Jesus' time and place. And I'm sorry, this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson and less of a sermon at this point. Palestine was a Roman province, one of the most difficult to manage in all of the Roman Empire. Rome's puppet king, Herod the Great, was so important for him to be tied to Rome. Uh, he was a real favourite of, uh, of Caesar Augustus he was the king when Jesus was born, that he built the temple, the huge temple that Jesus interacts with in various points in the Gospels, in order to demonstrate his love of the Jewish people because there was a bit of uncertainty whether he himself was a proper Jew. Uh, so he built this uh, huge temple and then at his death, his kingdom was divided by th amongst three of his sons, which was not a very good idea. Herod was a bit bloodthirsty. He'd already killed a couple of his sons. These are the three that were left. Uh, one got Judea and Jerusalem and he was a, a complete disaster. So within a couple of years, he'd been deposed and Rome came in and, and ruled it directly. 
That's why at the death of Jesus, we have a Roman governor in charge, the governor Pontius Pilate. He's in charge of Judea and Jerusalem. Galilee, where Jesus lived and where most of his ministry takes place, is, is ruled by one of Herod's sons who's quite successful. He's called Antipas. And he was busy transforming the whole of Galilee into something that represented his view of what should happen. He was busily rebuilding the city of Sepphoris into a, into a, a monument to his own rule, his own greatness, and also to Caesar. By this stage, Tiberius. It was only a few kilometres away from Nazareth, so it's quite likely that Jesus and his father Joseph were sucked into working there because that's where all of the work was. They were either forced into it or they were drawn into it because there was more money to be made in the cities than there was in the country. We don't really know even whether Jesus was a carpenter. The word actually says builder. It's sort of, we think, maybe a carpenter, but he could have been a stonemason. We don't know, but we do likely think that he would have been working in Sepphoris. Everything was in turmoil in Galilee. The thing was changing completely. The, 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 the economy was being transformed and warped all the time. And the people who were suffering the most were people who fished. They used to be full of family businesses, and we get a hint of that in these stories, in, in the other Gospels too. But they were slowly being taken over by huge corporations. We kind of know that story a little bit, don't we? You needed a license to fish, you needed a license to own a boat. You had to pay taxes on the fish that you landed. You then had to pay taxes on the fish that you transported. They were being bled dry. And the whole environment was being geared towards export. Salt down the fish or turn it into a fish sauce, which was greatly loved by the Romans, and export it out of the area. So much so that there are stories that people in Galilee who fished couldn't afford to buy their own fish. I don't know if you know anything about the Walmart Corporation, but there are people who work for Walmart in the United States who can't afford to shop at Walmart unless they have government support. Complete upheaval in life. This is a story about fishers because it's a story about liberation. Because Jesus came into Galilee announcing good news, which we know was the way Rome announced everything. They began every announcement that was of importance to Rome, and maybe, if you were lucky, important to you as a vassal of Rome, the f that it was going to be an announcement and it would benefit, well, obviously, it would benefit the rich. The stage three tax cuts, we have been told over and over again by the government itself will benefit the wealthy. We'll do nothing for low-paid workers and not much for people in the middle. And it's likely to increase inflation and interest rates, which is good news if you're rich and you own a house. If you're poor and you don't, or if you're struggling to pay a mortgage. Our culture's in a bit of turmoil, perhaps not as much as Jesus. Because really trickle-down economics, it doesn't work. You don't make the rich richer and then hope that some of it trickles down to the poor. It hasn't ever worked, didn't work in the 80s or it didn't work in the 90s. It's certainly not working now. And it didn't work in Jesus' time. Jesus' announcement of good news is not for the rich. 
It's for the poor. That's why he begins with fishermen. Not because they just happened to be fishermen and he happened to be by the Sea of Galilee. That may be true. But what is true is that Jesus specifically targeted fishermen, targeted fishermen because they were at the bottom of the heap. Not unlike Luke telling us that the first people who came to see the birth of Jesus were shepherds, also people right at the bottom of the heap. That's what Jesus is doing. It's about liberation. But there's more going on here too. Because all of these men, and they were men to start with, were good students of the scriptures. That's what going to synagogue was about. That's what growing up and learning to be a good Jewish boy. Girls sometimes, but always boys. And one of the things you read in the Jewish scriptures is a number of times where fish, people who fish, fishers, are mentioned in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And in it, each time it's mentioned, fishers are people who are going to be sent by God either to pull down the rich or to save the poor. Each time it's mentioned in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and in Micah and in a couple of other places. To be a fisherman, to be a fisher, was to be someone at the bottom of the barrel. The good news was liberation for everyone. It was about following me meant leave behind exploitation, leave behind being exploited, leave behind being part of the exploitative culture. Leave that and enter a new world. Leave that and enter the world that Jesus kept calling the kingdom of God. I will make you fish for people. I will make you fish people out of slavery and oppression and into liberation. This is what it says in Jeremiah. And this is the sort of thing that would have been in the minds of anybody reading this story the first time around. This is what Jeremiah said. I am now sending for many fishermen says the Lord, and they shall catch them and afterwards I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt for them from everywhere, from every mountain, every hill and out of every cleft in the rock. It's calling people into a new world. It's calling people into liberation. And at the beginning, when? Now. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, the, oh sorry, the kingdom of God, he calls it the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, in Mark he calls it the kingdom of God, is starting now. And so it is. Straight after this reading, immediately after this reading, and Mark loves the word immediately, immediately after this reading, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, a man tormented by oppression. And that unclean spirit speaks to Jesus and says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Yes. Jesus has come to overturn the money changes in the temple, to overturn the oppressive world so that everyone comes into liberation. Jesus says to him, be quiet, come out of him. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus says. Repent and believe, turn around, rethink this whole thing and see good news. A new regime the kingdom of God, a new government, 
a new commonwealth, a new way of being human beings together. And when now, it's come near now. That's why they followed him. That's why they didn't need a whole story to be told. They knew the story. They knew the oppression they were in and they longed for liberation. And so when Jesus said, let's do it, they said, yes. And it's the call on every human being all the time. Out of the bondage that we find ourselves in for all kinds of reasons. Into a liberated world in which everybody is loved by God, called by God, to be engaged in liberation of others. Now is the time. It begins right now.